Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, Councilman in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and I am excited today to bring the podcast back after a few weeks and talk to my friend Andy Hoover with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. He has been there for many years, working over many civil liberties um, causes and protecting our rights, um, rights that we probably don't even think about in the state of Pennsylvania. So, Andy, thanks for talking today. You're welcome, Tony. It's great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Great. Uh, so um, before we start, I think people need to know your background a little bit, um, because for other things like gun rights or uh, opposing gun rights, people can understand what made someone jump into that cause or maybe jump into healthcare. But what made you care enough to be involved in the issues of the ACLU and civil liberties generally? So it really comes from a place of my values being about concern with the world around me. I I am not a person who really has been impacted uh, in any serious way by the issues that the ACLU works on. I have a ton of respect and, and really enjoy working with my colleagues who, for whom these issues are personal. For me, it was really a values thing. Uh, before I got to the ACLU, I was a volunteer doing anti-death penalty work. I started at the ACLU in 2004. Um, and after after 9-11, the ACLU saw a significant membership bump, and we were able to expand our staff. And our national executive director always wanted to make the advocacy side just as strong as the legal side. Um, so I was doing volunteer work uh, on uh, death penalty abolition. Um, and you may, if you're familiar with the times in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a lot of awareness of the fact that innocent people were being convicted and sentenced to death, which really gave some insight into the flaws of the criminal justice system more broadly. Um, and th there were some states that implemented moratoriums. Um, and so I was I got involved as a volunteer, and that led me into uh, working for the ACLU. I do distinctly remember when I decided to go for the job. Uh, it was actually during the 2004 uh, presidential campaign. I remember during one of the debates, John Kerry said, the only thing wrong with the Patriot Act is Attorney General John Ashcroft. And then I, my response was, there's a little more wrong with the Patriot Act than just the sitting Attorney General. That law is flawed. Um, and I was in a place where I wasn't really sure if I wanted to continue doing the job that I was in. Uh, I knew the ACLU job was open. I went for it. And 18 years later, here I am. Started as an organizer, became legislative director. I did that for almost nine years, which is how you and I met. And for the last five years, I've been in communications. And I think... You know, when I hear the NRA, I kind of have an idea of what they do, and I know what you do, but what would you briefly, quickly say are civil liberties? Because that seems like a very broad topic to do, uh, advocate for. It is a broad topic, and we articulate it by saying that, you know, we're trying to in, uh, defend and expand people's constitutional rights. So it's well documented that the founders were flawed. Um, but within the Constitution itself, there are expressions of values that can be implemented in the 21st century. So, for example, after the Civil War, after the Civil War, the 14th Amendment included a provision about equal. Everybody has equal protection under the law. Um, it was really there to protect newly freed people who had been enslaved. Um, but in the 21st century, we can see how equal protection applies to gay, lesbian, bisexual, and queer folks. It applies to transgender folks. It applies to 
immigrants, women, um, you know, there are any number of ways that the values embedded in the Constitution can be understood from a 21st century perspective. So we work to uh, defend and, as I said, expand those values and those rights. Um, and that plays out in any in any number of ways. You know, we do advocacy around the criminal justice system, trying to create a fair criminal justice system or a criminal legal system, I should say, um, ensuring that people have bodily autonomy, which plays itself out as it relates to the privacy of people's relationships, um, their choices about their medical care, including abortion care, um, you know, voting rights, obviously, that's like foundational. So, you know, there are there are other issues that I could mention, but um, that gives you a taste of how we ground our work. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting how you ground your work, but also when talking with people, whether they're in public office or they're in um, an advocacy position, uh, sometimes they can define success. Like, I know people who want to go and get grants for something like, oh, we know we raised we were able to get a 50 million dollar grant for infrastructure or um, you know, uh, halfway homes and homelessness, or we were able to, um, as a gun lobby, um, they were able to pass this legislation. How are you able to define success when it comes to the ACLU? So having spent a lot of time at the legislature, I have to say that sometimes success means defense, um, which we don't want it to always be that way, but sometimes that is the reality. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, from the early 2010s, you know, we brought litigation to challenge uh, a bill that had been passed to um, have a stricter voter identification law. Um, we There are forms of voter verification and voter identification that do exist in Pennsylvania. Um, there was a law in the early 2010s that would have made it more restrictive and harder for folks to to um, to vote. Uh, and so we challenged that. We went to court. We Well, first we challenged it in the legislature, we, and we came close to beating it, actually. we There was one vote that we lost by a single vote in the state Senate. Um, but then once, we, once it passed, um, we went to court and were able to have that law overturned. So sometimes it is defensive, but we do want to be proactive, too. Um, you know, Pennsylvania has a non-discrimination law that protects people from discrimination in housing, the workplace, and public accommodations. So like hotels, restaurants, any any business open to the public. And that statute does not include sexual orientation and gender identity. Well, we want it to be expanded to include sexual orientation and gender identity because LGBTQ people often face discrimination. And our, our trans friends talk about how in public accommodation is where they see the most discrimination. Um, and so... And there's actually been some movement on that issue. Uh, two years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that for purposes of federal law, sex discrimination includes sexual orientation and gender identity. And just recently, uh, in December, a regulation was passed here in Pennsylvania uh, that the definition of sex discrimination under state law also includes sexual orientation and gender identity. So some, some of it is defense, um, but it's really important for us to be proactive, too. So the, the podcast is called You Should Run. And, you know, it's something where when I talk to people who run for office, they talk about how they notice crime in their neighborhood or something like they wanted to improve trash collection or maybe a bigger issue like, you know, they're concerned about um, 
you know, the, the general spending or they're concerned about abortion rights. Granted, he, I mean, that's something you do work on. But, you know, why would someone run for office and make civil liberties um, a hallmark of their campaign? Do you see that as something that someone who's running for office, whether they're a Democrat, you know, Republican, or Independent, can make as the centerpiece of their political identity and their campaign? Potentially, depending upon the office and depending upon uh, the the uh, jurisdiction. Um, I think it's pretty clear that people are very concerned about their rights. Um, these are not sometimes these is, these issues get um, patronized, patronized down to culture wars. But what we're talking about, we're talking about things that impact people's lives on a daily basis. Um, so it is more than just um, identity or or a culture war. I think that that is that minimizes the reality of what people deal with on a on a regular basis. You know, access to abortion and other reproductive health care has a serious impact uh, on people. Um, and so, I and and it's clear. I think, particularly from the most recent election results, that civil rights and civil liberties can be a winning issue. Um, you know, you look at the reaction to the voters reaction to uh, the U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. And interestingly, in the run up to the Dobbs decision, you know, we were having internal conversations. And I want to be very clear that the impact of that decision and then state legislators in other states banning abortion or putting restrictions on has serious consequences for people's lives. And it's impacting mm -hmm. Pennsylvania because patients are coming to Pennsylvania. But politically, in the months running up to that, I was saying to my colleagues, you know, the Republicans might end up being the dog that caught the car here. They might not benefit from uh, this decision if it goes in a way that we don't want it to, which it did. Um, and this may actually motivate people to vote. And I think that's exactly what we saw happen. It was it was one of the most important issues for voters in Pennsylvania uh, when you look at exit polling data. Um, you know, you mentioned crime, which I think is worthy of of spending some time on because we know that there are neighborhoods um, and towns and cities where crime has gone up. That, unfortunately, has been a national trend. And I think that there are ways to address public safety while also um, uh, advancing ideas that create a fair criminal justice system. Um, the way our criminal justice system works now, unfortunately, it is uh, you find people are our prison population is large. Our jail population is large. Our jail population, honestly, is populated by the county jails by people who have not been convicted of a crime. Uh, many of them are there because they can't afford the cash bail to get out um, or they're there on probation detainers where they've been accused of a probation violation, but th their case isn't resolved. Um, you know, sentences are long. We we have multiple offenses for the same act, which the ACLU of Pennsylvania has done a report about. So there are ways, and I think those things motivate voters. Um, I can say this for sure. The fear of crime did not work for Dr. Oz in the U.S. Senate race. And I think that John Fetterman was quite bold and visionary in the way he handled mm -hmm. the board of board of pardons while he was lieutenant governor and he and he won his race. So 
voters are way more sophisticated than I think we give them often give them credit for. And and candidates can run on these issues. You know, speaking of John Fetterman, um, you know, at the end of the campaign, instead of saying I would not do that or he didn't say he was uh, he was kind of threaded that needle, but he did make a pretty aggressive and, and I mean this in a nice way um, at communicating about why he did what he did in terms of advocating for people to get out of jail or overturning sentences. Uh, what did that mean to you as someone who's advocated for this to see a high profile, highly contested race where instead of uh, holding back, they dove right into it and showed their support for an issue like that? Does that really kind of set off a good bell in your head like, hey, people are going to defend this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The fact that Fetterman was willing to um, own and articulate his positions on those issues and then win. Uh, that was huge. Uh, I, t- I was saying to my colleagues uh, in advance of that election, you know, if Fetterman loses, criminal justice reform might be dead. And I was actually saying the same thing in the 2021, in the advance of the 2021 uh, Philadelphia DA's race, where Larry Krasner had a challenge from a former prosecutor. Um, and those candidates won. Krasner won, John Fetterman won, which makes clear that public officials can take positions for a fair criminal justice system and still win. These can be, at the very least, they don't hurt candidates. And in, and in some cases, they may actually help them. And just to be clear about what we're talking about with Fetterman, you know, there were some of the people who were uh, had their sentences commuted uh, under John Fetterman's leadership of the Board of Pardons were people who had some tangential connection to a crime that led to a homicide and then under Pennsylvania law, they got life without parole. It's called second degree homicide or or what's called the felony murder rule, where you're part of something that's not homicide, but then someone else does commit a homicide during the um, during that crime. So like a drug deal or a robbery, people get life without parole for that. Um, and so unfortunately, the Board of Pardons is the only way to uh, give people relief and Fetterman said, if this cost me my political career, it's still worth it because it was the right thing to do. And it was the right thing to do. And he still won his race. Yeah, he did win his race. But, you know, crime was it was a disgusting campaign season, as they all tend to be. But it seems like they get worse. Uh, And a lot of it was centered on crime. And that seems to be the thing that conservatives are pushing back against on Democrats about crime, especially after 2020 with the protests. And, you know, there was a big. potential for criminal justice reform that seemed to if it, you didn't strike with the iron is hot you missed out on what we maybe could have done nationally um but how can we what what do you see you said about fair criminal justice but that's a tough thing to say because you know um an arrest for crime x could wield 25 years and to you it might be 10 years like where do you thread the needle about what is a fair criminal justice system that you think the people would accept? And of course, I don't want need a 30 minute answer just because that's easy. That's a tough thing. But oh, yeah, you know, how there's, do you there's def- a lot there. <laughs> but how do you define just quickly what it means to be fair when it comes to criminal justice that fits within the parameters of civil liberties? Well, I think a couple of things. One, Pennsylvania law in 1972 had just under 300 criminal offenses. Today, there are more than 1,500 criminal offenses. But here's the thing. 
most of what's illegal today was also illegal in 1972. But legislators are passing new laws and Democrat and Republican. You know, there's it's not like one party is the villain and one's the hero here. They both have been doing it. They continue to pass bills that make new offenses or increase the grading. So one thing might be a misdemeanor, then it gets increased to a felony or, or a first degree felony, second degree. Um, or they're passing bills to extend the sentences of particular offenses. So we have a report called uh, More Law, Less Justice, which is available on the ACLUPA website, aclupa.org, that, that, that analyzes this. And we find that you know one act can be three or four or five different offenses. And what what the and the reason why this ties one reason why this ties back to civil liberties is when a person is facing five charges for one act, they're much more likely to plea bargain. More than 90% of people facing criminal charges do not go to trial. And prosecutors are able to use what I just described to leverage people into plea bargains, effectively giving up their right to a trial before a jury of their peers. So the first thing is legislators should stop passing all of these criminal offenses uh, and let the legal system do what it's supposed to do. Um, mm-hmm. So there's one thing. I mean, like you said, there's a, there could be a whole bunch of things we could we could unpack here, but I'll, I'll defer back to you. Well, you know, one thing you also mentioned in your comment there was that you um, talk people think about issues that impact their lives on a daily basis, and the things that impact my life are schools for my kids, like making sure that they have a good school and they get there, um, and there's teachers. Things that impact me are you know the the level of services. Crime is a thing, no matter where you live, it exists. Um, but just, you know, things happening in your neighborhood and also things like, um, you know, my healthcare spending, whether it's like getting drug treatments, uh, my wife being able to, uh, you know, pay for having children. Um, so how do you thread the needle and make sure people understand that, like, because when I, there's a lot of folks, you know, from the pushback against the ACL, you'll be like, well, that's the criminal's problem and I'm not a criminal. So why should I care? So What's the, how do you tell people that, yes, this does impact your life when we improve these systems? Um, so there is, the, I wish I could do this from memory, but there is the, the, the percentage of people who have a criminal conviction uh, in the United States is very high or a criminal record. Um, I, I want to say it's hovering around 25%. And the percentage of children who live in um, a home uh, or have a parent who has a criminal record uh, is also high. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that impacts people's lives is it impacts the ability to find work. It impacts the ability to get housing. Um, it could impact the ability to further a person's education. Um, and oftentimes many of these crimes, I mean, I, I, I take your point about, well, that's the criminal's problem. You know, they they can be related to other issues that can be better addressed through public health. So if we're talking about uh, substance use disorder or mental health issues, you know, we can invest in health care. We can invest in mental health. We can invest in um, substance use uh, rehabilitation programs. Uh, we can de- decriminalize and legalize marijuana so folks, so those consumers aren't in the criminal legal system uh, and, and approach these things from a public health perspective instead of a criminal legal perspective. We ask our criminal legal system to do way too much. You know, the ACLU is tough on the police, 
But I will say one thing. We ask our police to do too much. They are not social workers. Yeah. They are not counselors. Um, you know, let them. I'm sorry that my camera is off because as someone who oversees a police department, kind of, because I'm a local elected official, I want to I'm clapping here because <laughs> that's a thing. Like, I know our police do way more than they should. And and sometimes they like doing those things. They're more fun things to do. So we're like, no, don't do those things. Just focus on your policing. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. And I do think, you know, for us as advocates, we do have to be careful about not being clumsy about crime issues. I mean, there, as I said earlier, there are neighborhoods and communities that are being impacted by a rise in crime. Now, that is a national trend. Mm -hmm. Um and a lot of it probably is pandemic related, to be yeah. completely frank, the stresses of the pandemic. Um, but we also can't fall into the trap of being like, well, it's not as bad as it was in the 1990s. Well, that doesn't really help the person in you know, Southwest Philly um, who is worried about walking down the street. Um, but I do think there are ways to be smart about crime while also um, continuing to um, express the value of a fair criminal legal system. So one thing that people can be smart about is looking forward to the upcoming elections and lo the local elections in 2023. And then, of course, presidential elections in 2024. What, how would you recommend that people um, take these lessons about civil liberties and make them a priority for them as voters and maybe as candidates? What will be your recommendation for the next couple of years as people consider the next elections? And uh, what, what, what should people keep in mind? So I want to, you mentioned schools a few minutes ago, and I want to mention that because the 2023, as you know, is a local and judicial voting year here mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, at least. Um, and the, we are seeing an uptick in activism at the school level, which is not news probably for your listeners, but, um, and it's ugly at times, um, you know, we have uh, a complaint in right now to the U.S. Department of Education about the Central Buck School District, which is the fourth largest district in the state, um, creating a hostile environment for LGBTQ students um, and engaging in censorship. Um, and the research seems to show that parents support inclusive education. Um, parents support uh, teaching kids about the real American history um, not hiding uh, issues around the civil rights movement or women's suffrage or slavery in the Civil War, uh, the 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 uh, what happened with this land and who was here in the first place, the indigenous people that were here. Parents want their kids to be educated, and they and they want education to be inclusive. Um, they don't yeah. want censorship. So you know, as a so there's one there's one there's one race right now that in 2023 there are going to be school board races around Pennsylvania, and people can run on those issues. But parents care about inclusive education and freedom of thought. And I have to say, my son, I have two sons. One is in third grade. One is in first grade. We went to the teacher meetings. Um, my youngest son is first grade class. I looked around. I was like, I think he's the only white boy in this class, and it's awesome. He doesn't think anything of it, and it's not like. I think there's some people who are conservative who look at me saying that's awesome and say, oh, you're pushing in the other direction. So you're anti. And I was like, no, it's just the breadth of experience and what they can learn from. My oldest son, he had because of it was Diwali. They had one of the students brought her mom in to teach a whole day well, not a whole, like an afternoon about the celebration. It's like, no, they get so much more experience than that. 
And I think that people hear from liberals, and I consider myself one, and think that when we want to teach the good and the, the failures in American history, that that's a negative. But to me, it's like a success. Like, yes, we don't have slavery anymore. Yes, we did pass the Civil Rights Act. Yes, yes, women couldn't vote, but now they can. Do, do you see it as a positive story? Oh, yeah, of course. And it's interesting when you when you look at the way people view the country, it is not a binary. You know, the old the old saying is my country right or wrong uh, if it's right to keep it right and wrong to make it right. Americans do think that way. When you look at the survey research, people are generally optimistic about the United States and this crosses racial boundaries. Um, people are generally, like I said, optimistic about the U.S. They they believe in the country. They also recognize that the country is flawed and has a flawed history, and it's okay to teach that. Um, and and what you pointed out with your your son's school, you know, it is it's a changing population, um, and it's important to be welcoming to people who are new, whether they're just new to your community or new to the country. Um, Unfortunately, I think some of the backlash is because the country is changing, quite frankly, and people fear change. They don't need to fear change because, I mean, frankly, this country has always been changing. um, And in my mind, it changes for the better. We can have a multicultural democracy that treats everyone fairly. So as we try and make that multicultural society that treats everyone fairly, people might want to reach out to you and learn more about the ACLU of Pennsylvania or maybe in their state. What's the best way that people can reach out and learn more from you? And and maybe they will decide to run for office themselves or make this a centerpiece of their personal advocacy. So a couple of places. One I mentioned earlier, our website, aclupa.org. There are there, there's a lot of information about what we're working on as well as opportunities to get involved. We do have um, local chapters scattered around the state. So if folks want to get involved in the local level, they could. Um, we have an advocate academy where we're training folks to be legislative advocates to help us with our work at the state capitol. Um, and then we're on the various um, uh, social media platforms. We are on Twitter still, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, they're all with the handle at ACLUPA. We have reserved the ACLUPA TikTok, but we're, we don't have that quite launched yet, but uh, we at least have the handle. Um, and I expect in 2023, we're going to we're gonna start diving into TikTok a bit. But um, folks can check us out, like I said, on social media as well and um, see what we're up to. Great. Well, I actually recommend, even though the United States government might not like it anymore, I recommend TikTok more. I've been finding some really neat things about science on there. So it can be useful. It can be crazy, but all platforms are. Um, so thank you so much, Andy. I hope that people will listen to this and maybe be inspired to run for office themselves or to reach out to their legislators, because my, in my opinion, you can tell me if you do this too. If you reach out to people, they'll often reply and help you out, but they don't reply at all if you don't reach out yourself. Absolutely. That was when I was a lobbyist, when I was doing the legislative director, um, that was one of the most important things is that individual outreach and the more personal, the better, whether it's by phone or uh, an in-person meeting, that's great. Um, email is fine. Um, but yeah, definitely whatever me by whatever means you can reach your legislator, do it. Great. Well, one of the best ways you can do it become, is by learning to be an advocate, learning to be a citizen lobbyist. And you can do that with the ACLU pennsylvania or other states uh, contact andy hoover and i think you'll be very happy with what you learn thank you andy and uh, i hope you have a great holiday season
Thanks, Tony. This has been great. Happy holidays to you and yours.